Headship without love is dictatorship and submission without respect is manipulation. Welcome to the New Life Church Podcast, where we dive deep into the timeless truths of the Bible. My name is Jake, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be your host. In each of these episodes, we'll unpack the richness of the scriptures, exploring how its teachings can bring new life and meaning to our everyday existence. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, and uplifted as we navigate the profound wisdom of the Bible together. This is a place where faith meets daily life. This is New Life Church. So we're going to go to the book of Ephesians today, and that's where we're going to be preaching from. Everyone's favorite passage, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. A spiritual fault line is a place where brokenness has occurred in the past and is likely to happen again. And so what I have seen in, in life and in what I do for a living and in the Word of God is that a family fault line, or family fault lines are what lead to generational trauma and curses. So family fault lines are, are, are no joke. They're not, they're not simple, and we all have them. We can all sit here and be like, oh, we had the perfect family. You have a fault line somewhere. <laughs> I guarantee it. But we, we, see, we see the truth of this statement that family fault lines are what lead to generational trauma and curses when we go into the Old Testament and we look at the story of King David. In 2 Samuel 11, we see King David, and we know this story pretty well if you've been around church for any length of time. But if not, he was already married. He was living in his, in his palace and one day he goes out and he looks over and he looks down onto his neighbor's house and he sees his wife bathing and he gets into trouble. It leads to, to lust and I'm not going to deal with that uh, because that was dealt with last week in infidelity. And Pastor Joe even touched on this story uh, last week when he was talking about infidelity. And the story is, is that he, he pursued this woman. He got into trouble with her, and to cover it up, he had to send her husband to the front lines of battle and had him killed. He put him in a place where he knew that he would die, and because of that, it created a system of failure in his family from then on. That whenever uh, his wife Bathsheba gave birth to the son that they conceived uh, out of sin, it died in childbirth. And then shortly after that, it's interesting to watch 2 Samuel chapter 11, you go to chapter 12, and you start seeing the consequences chapter by chapter happening in King David's life. You see the death of the child. Uh, you see family discord. The consequences of David's sin continued as his son Absalom rebelled against him, leading a civil war within the kingdom, and Absalom's rebellion resulted in further bloodshed and conflict within the royal family. It led to systematic abuse between siblings. It led to a falling away, and it led to a war between a father and a son, marked by violence and betrayal. The consequences of uh, King David's sin continued to a tragic climax when Absalom, uh, in his rebellion, publicly took David's concubines and further reflecting the brokenness within the family and then there was a legacy of strife left. The repercussions of David's actions continued to affect subsequent generations, leading to a troubled lineage with instances of violence, betrayal, and family discord. The point that's being made is that 
we like to read over the, the Bible and we read the story of King David and we like the highlights of it. We like David and Goliath. We like, you know, uh, David in the cave with King Saul where, you know, he, he went and was the bigger man and just cut a piece of his robe off to say, hey, look what I could have done, but I didn't do. And all the victories and battles and all the things that King David did to to win, and we go to the lineage of Christ, and we see that he is a you know a forefather of Christ, and that he was a man after God's own heart, and we see all of these good things. But even this really good man had some really big fault lines in his life. To me, that's super encouraging, because I'm nowhere on King David's level when it comes to all the good things that he's accomplished and all of those things and the notability and, and all of that. But I do know that he served a God who loved him and called him a man after his own heart. The message today is that God loves you and he wants to see you avoid those fault lines. God knows they're there. Just because you're able to keep them under the surface and maybe no one else is seeing them doesn't mean that they're not there and doesn't mean that God doesn't know, but that also doesn't change how much God loves you. So Ephesians 5, 21, we'll start there. Submitting one to another out of the reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is, and is himself his Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. But let's keep going because husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might be present, uh, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of this body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and in the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, kids, just because I was reading about husbands and wives, you do not get off the hook because we go to chapter six, verse one. And it says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, because this is the first commandment with promise, that it may, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. In a godly home, it begins with the marriage. If, you're, if your marriage is not right, nothing else matters. 
because it won't be right with your kids. It won't be right in your life. And you'll start seeing that you're going to struggle in other areas of your life if your marriage isn't what God has in store for it. So let's look at, at the passage there. We're reading through Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to talk about some possible fault lines in your marriage. And the first one is lack of mutual submission. So we all get hung up on verse 22 when it comes to submission. Verse 22 is the infamous scripture of wives submit yourselves to your husbands. And, and that can be taken from the feminine side where, well, I don't, I don't need no man. Or it can be taken from the masculine side. Woman, you better listen to me. You know, and we, oftentimes we joke about it, but we often see it abused from both ways. And the reason why that verse, verse 22, gets abused is because we miss verse 21. Verse 21 says, submit yourselves one to another. So mutual submission uh, here is both husbands and wives are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what the word says. Out of reverence for Jesus, we are to submit ourselves one to each other. And so the opposite of this would involve a, a conflict power struggle between husband and wife to see who can dominate the other one. When we get out of a biblical context of submission, it becomes about domineering. It doesn't become about love. It becomes about control. And so the, uh, where one spouse would seek to control and dominate the other, disregarding this principle of mutual submission. It takes two people to have a relationship, correct? And so there is this principle in Scripture where we see, and, and we'll go through it step by step, but mutual submission is where we take the time to, to learn one another and we set aside our needs in order to meet the needs of the one that we love the most. Saying, I submit myself, I surrender myself to be in pursuit of the one that I love. Now, I'm going to go through some of these fault lines, and so it may feel a little heavy-handed at the beginning, okay? And so I do sort of apologize for that. But it's the Word of God. And we need to understand the fault lines before we can understand how to get around them. And so I, I, want, I wish I had one to put up this morning for an illustration, but I want to set up some big warning signs telling you which way to go saying the fault line's over here, I need you to get over here when something goes wrong. And so that's it. First of all, lack of mutual submission. Second of all, we see in Scripture a fault line in marriage would be a lack of unity. This passage that I just read, it underscores the concept of becoming one flesh in the marriage. And the opposite would involve simply what I just said, a lack of unity. If you don't become one flesh but becoming one flesh is saying that we are together. That whenever you see my wife and I, you should be seeing the same thing. Not the same person, but the same thing. One cohesive unit that is bound in unity in contract with God in holy matrimony, saying that we have submitted ourselves one to another into the plan that God had for us, one man and one woman. And so... What this might look like in your lives is if you see yourself starting to live separate lives from your spouse. What do you mean by that, Pastor Brandon? It's when 
Husbands go off and do their thing, and wives go off and do their thing, but they never come together and do marriage together. And it's easy. I, I see it all the time in the counseling realm. Couples that come in for counseling, and then I start talking to them, and they don't even know what the other one does throughout the week. They, they get together on the weekends. They'll work. They'll do their thing. They'll go pursue their friendships. They meant friendships are good, and that's, that's going to be a part of the series. But friendships do not trump your marriage. Whenever you become one flesh, that means everything else, every other relationship in your life is secondary and tertiary. It does not, if it interferes with your marriage in any way, you have to reevaluate that relationship. Because if you begin to live separate lives within your marriage, it will bring disunity. Also, lacking emotional connection. So a lack of unity will bring a lack of emotional connection within your family. So if you're in a marriage and you feel emotionally disconnected from your wife or from your husband, what that might mean is that you are experiencing a lack of unity in some other area. Because if you are not unified and have one specific goal and you're not one flesh, then you're not going to be connected to the deepest parts of yourself, which are your emotions. And then failing to work together towards a common goal is a sign of a lack of unity. We call this vision. The Bible tells us where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. And so when I say vision, it's not that you have to have goals to conquer the world or be rich or have the biggest house. But when you're in relationship, God has ordained you to be in relationship for a reason. If that reason is to have children and to raise them, that is your vision. That is your goal. That is your purpose. If your vision is ministry and you guys working together as a couple in ministry, yes, you can have different ministries, but God will place you with someone that is going to help you complete your vision. And so you have to have common goals in marriage. And so if you're finding a lack of unity, it might be because there's a lack of vision. Not having this common goal to come together. Not having a common vision of what you're doing with your finances. Not having a common vision of how you're going to parent your kids. The number one reason I've seen in marriage counseling of married couples with children is parenting styles is why they are there for counseling. It's because they don't have a vision and it leads to a lack of unity and the family structure begins to crumble whenever that fault line awakens. So husbands, let's start with the husbands, okay? Let's start with biblical headship. Fault lines for husbands is a failure to provide and protect for your family. And that doesn't necessarily mean going out and having a good job and bringing money home. That's part of it. It's not about making sure that it's not just about making sure that there's food on the table. That's part of it. But here's the other things that a husband must do or must identify if there's a fault line in his marriage. And first and foremost is neglect. What does neglect look like in a modern era? Now, from a clinical standpoint and from a social work standpoint, we might say, well, neglecting is, you know, not feeding your kids or just, 
you know, not making sure that they're bathed or brushing their teeth and, you know, living in, in filth. That's neglect. But there's different types of neglect. There is emotional neglect where you're not emotionally engaging with your wife or your children, where you're distant, where something else, where your spare time is about you and not about the family. That is neglect. When it becomes about uh, feeding what you need and what you want, and I'm not saying don't have hobbies. That's not what I'm saying, because hobbies are good. They keep you sane. But whenever your life begins to revolve around the hobbies and not around the family structure, that is a fault line. That is neglect. Video games can cause neglect. There's nothing inherently wrong with playing video games. There's nothing wrong with watching sports or having ESPN unless it begins to interfere with the family structure, unless it becomes more important than paying attention and being fully present with your family, then it is a fault line. The second sign that you have a fault line in your marriage, husbands, is indifference. Indifference is tricky because you may feel like you're being amenable. You may feel like you're being agreeable but you're not being assertive and you're not leading your family. Indifference is like, whatever you want. Your wife comes to you and says, hey, what do you think about this? Oh, you just make that decision for me. It's all right. How many of you have gone out to eat before? <laughs> gone out to eat before and you ask, where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. I just want you to pick. And being indifferent. Now, that's, that's a simple example, and that's not necessarily a fault line, but it can be indicative of a greater fault line, is where if we're being indifferent in these small areas of our life as, as the men, as the leaders in our marriage, where they're looking for us to lead and guide, if we are indifferent, we are abdicating our roles as leaders. Indifference leads to complacency, and complacency leads to death. If you are indifferent in your marriage, and you are not making the decisions as you are supposed to be, and leading in those decisions as you are supposed to be, the trajectory of your marriage is not a good one. And it's something that needs to be changed. It leads to passivity. And passivity is weakness in men in marriage. I guarantee you, men, if you want to look attractive for your wife, being passive is not it. Women, here's your chance. Say amen. <laughs> you don't want to be married to a passive man because you see that as weakness. Yes, you may get some more of the things that you want in life, right? Some of the extra stuff, some of the things that are, that are extra, but it's not worth it to be married to a passive man that will not lead. And men you will get more out of the relationship that you want by being an assertive man. And this is biblical. Men need to be assertive. Jesus was not a passive man. How many here believe Jesus was passive? Let me take you to the scripture, and I love how Pastor Joe says it, where he goes and he flips tables, but it was premeditated. I mean, he looked at the religious leaders of the day and says, you know what, you are like tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. You guys are dead on the inside. That's, that's not what a passive man says. There are things where he stood up and he led in a good, 
way that led to life and injecting life into the family. And so, men, we need to be assertive, not passive. All right, wives. What, we, what fault lines look like according to Ephesians chapter 5 is a lack of respect and reverence. So if you find yourself disrespecting your husband, whether he deserves it or not, is a sign of a fault line. Because according to the Word of God, your husband deserves respect and you're called to give that to him. It doesn't put any qualifications. It doesn't say if he's respectable. I believe a man should be respectable. I believe a man should do good things. And if your wife is disrespecting you, it's probably not all her fault. I'm going to bring it back to the guys again. Look at yourself. Introspect. But just as men are called to love unconditionally, the wives are called to respect unconditionally. So the Word of God is sharp, and it's a two-edged sword, and it will cut both ways. Disrespect leads to rebellion. If you live in a constant state of disrespect of your husband, it will lead to rebellion in his leadership. It will lead to rebellion where you say, I don't want to do that. Where your husband will come to you and he will try to be assertive and you will say, no, I don't want to do that. And whenever that happens, it is a, a indicative of a fault line that is opening up within the marriage. A lack of reverence for the husband's leadership within the context of submission here will lead to the failure of the marriage. Now, let's talk about what biblical submission looks like for a second, because, well, let me go into teaching mode here. Can I get someone uh, to answer the question, what do you think submission means in this context? How many, at some point in your life, if I would have said submit to your husband, you would have taken that as, I have to do everything that my husband says, that I have to just do what I'm told? And that is the most common misconception and misinterpretation of this scripture. Is that submission is doing what I'm told and I have no voice, I have no personality, and I'm not allowed to be the person that I am. And not understanding what the scripture says in that context will lead to a fault line and allow, allow this seed of bitterness to grow within you. But what it means is that It's a Greek military term, meaning coming into alignment with to work alongside of. That you have a general that's commanding the army, but he has the respect of his troops and they're willing to come into alignment with the plan and the vision and the attack uh, that he has to help him out to win the victory. And that whenever the victory's won, it's not the general's victory, it's not the army's victory, it's all of their victory together. And so whenever you allow this seed of submission to be a negative thing in your life and to be looked down upon, it will grow into bitterness and it will consume you. So what does submission to each other look like in the end? It looks like this, is that Headship without love is dictatorship. Submission without respect is manipulation. I'll say it again. Headship without love is dictatorship, and submission without respect is manipulation. 
Husbands, if you want to lead your wives and be assertive, but you just come at it and you're not in mutual submission with your wife in reverence of Christ, as the word of God says, which means leadership with humility, leadership with gentleness and unconditional love. That's what that means to come into submission godly uh, in, in a godly way with our wives. If we do not do that, we are domina- uh, domineering dictators. Just saying what we want done and expecting it to be done and is placing us in an unbalanced relationship with our wives. But wives, you can weaponize submission. You can go two ways with it. You can either go the rebellious way and say, I'm not going to submit. Or you can submit in order to pacify your husband and get what you want. And that's done if you don't have respect in your heart. But men, if you love your wives, you will come to them and you'll say, hey, this is what I've been praying about. This is what I've been thinking about. This is what I feel like God is speaking to me. This is the vision that God is giving to me. I want to bring that to you. Will you come into alignment with that with me? And wives, that respect for your husband saying, wow, I have a man who went to God before he came to me. I have a man who got in the word and he knows what he wants for our family. And what he wants for our family is a good thing. And I'm going to submit to that. I'm going to come alongside of that and come into alignment with what he says and submit myself to him because I respect him. But if it's done without respect, it's manipulation. As we end part one of this exploration of fault lines in family, remember that headship without love is dictatorship, and submission without respect is manipulation. The call is clear and twofold. Love each other and respect each other. Join us for part two, where Pastor Brandon delves into the biblical guidelines for relationships with your parents and your children. This is your chance to fortify the foundations of your family. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the New Life Church Podcast. We are truly grateful for each and every one of our listeners, so thank you. For a full transcription of today's sermon and more resources, head over to our website at newlifechurchspringfield.com. I can't wait to dive into the next episode with you. Until then, stay connected, stay inspired, and God bless. See you next time.